Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 225 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Christine, also known as K-Flay, is a badass rocker chick. Christine explains how her sobriety is the backbone on how she has achieved her success and stability in her music career, relationships, and beyond. This is possibly my favorite conversations, of course, next to Kat Von D, but chatting with people like Christine are expansive for the mind and nourishing to the soul. This is such a fantastic conversation, so let's get into it. Christine, what is going on? How are you? I'm great. I'm slightly over-caffeinated, <laughs> un- underslept, but incredibly energized and positive. I, I, just, I just finished like a two-week run of shows and Whoa. promotional activities. And hilariously... Um, yesterday was on the Canadian like Today Show. <laughs> what does that? What? What is that? What show is that? It's called the Morning Show. Um, it's it is it's you know yeah. I'm like here's this is just a this is a total aside but I I have had um, some I've had a lot of support and and some good success like musically in Canada and a bunch of oh, yeah. my my friends are Canadian. So a lot of people think I'm Canadian. Um, it's kind of, (laughs) holy fuck. Okay. Like literally (laughs) I was doing an interview yesterday in Toronto and someone was like, so there's kind of like a rumor. Are you Canadian? And I was like, no, I'm not Canadian. A rumor dead. I love that. I love that choice of words too. Like, is it true? Is she like red and white? Is she a Canadian? Eh? That's how you, that's how you know I've lost all edge when the rumor going about me going is, is whether I'm Canadian. That's the dirt. That's the shit they have to bring up. Is she Canadian? Holy (laughs) shit. That's amazing. Okay. Christina, we're definitely, I want to get into like the music and like, you know, everything you talk about on on Instagram, you're very vocal about your sobriety and um, drinking and lack thereof there now. Um, Mm -hmm. But I want to talk to you about what it was like before your BS story, if you will, your before sobriety. What did that look like? Well, I, I think I have a little bit of an interesting history in that my, my BS period is is a, a quite a robust sobriety sandwich mm, um okay because i i didn't begin drinking until i was 23 20 okay. i was a little bit older yeah um 
and was I effectively straight edge as a as a yeah. teenager and in my my early 20s though I I didn't really know that term um mm-hmm. and then you know obviously now now I don't drink um as well I would say my bs period was was characterized by a few things I think the first and really positive part of my my time drinking was it it allowed me to disabuse myself of some of the black and white notions i had about drugs and alcohol mm. because i had um so i have to, i have two dads one who's alive and extremely stable and who adopted me and um yeah has raised me and then another dad who's my biological father, who was um, a very serious addict and died from that when I was 14. So Mm. I had a real, um, as a child and as a teenager, I had a real sense of drugs and alcohol are bad. Yep. They are connected to weakness of character. Mm -hmm. I, I had judgment. I had a lot of judgment about substance use. Um, and certainly substance abuse. Um, and you know, I think partially that's, that, that was how I coped and understood, um, yeah, as a young person. So I would say the, the early part of my drinking life was incredibly expansive. Okay. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that's a, if that's a strange way to characterize it, but no. It, I can see it, that. It was really important for me, I think, to have those yeah. experiences for myself um, and, and understand that, you know, alcohol, like everything, is is a thing. Yeah. Now, we, we imbue that with meaning, importance. We abuse, use, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, in and of itself, it is, it is not... Um, an object of evil and that was mm-hmm. that was really that was really good for me to learn i think you know my 20s was a period of just expanding my gray area on everything mm. whoa that's a great but, way to put it you know but don't, don't you feel yeah. the same that like when you're when you're a kid you've got like you just have these very polarized notions and then as yes. you become an adult in this world you realize everything's in the middle yes everything like there are so many multiple like crazy shades of gray that you have no idea you like know, at I remember, all i remember this is not related to drinking but i remember having a conversation when i was 12 or 13 with one of my friends like if you cheat on your you know boyfriend or girlfriend or your spouse like that's fucked up right okay well now <laughs> you're horrible Right. Now I'm a grown adult and I understand like, well, that's Mm. the stupidest fucking thing you could ever say. Like once you, once you've seen how life unfolds, the the notion that any judgment can be clear, you know, is, is just sort of delusional. I I feel like, or at least myopic at the very least. So yes, I, 
yeah, I would say my 20s in particular was was that time of the gray area growing and and me getting comfortable being in it. So yeah, that was part of my my drinking. Another part of it, a big part of it, was occupational. Okay. Um, so I I started drinking regularly because I was a touring, I became a touring musician. Right. And it it's really institutionalized in that world. Um, you know, your early shows, you get a bag of chips and a six pack. Yep. That's that's the green room, you know, that's your food. Yeah. I think like being a musician is the only real job where it's like encouraged to drink. Like not many people can be like, oh, like, uh, you know, I can drink everyone else but work. That's kind of the opposite for musicians. Totally. It's so bizarre. It's very bizarre. And I think especially for me, I was coming up in the alternative rock space which is Mm -hmm. also largely male um Mm -hmm. that's that's changing now but you know when i when i was kind of in this place nine ten years ago that was really that that was sort of the status quo and the the culture was was like a a bit of a male toughness Mm -hmm. drink with the boys this is the way that you know i I understood that I could achieve parity and acceptance by hanging. Like I can hang, I can drink. Right. right. And then of course, of course I start taking some pride in that. Like, yeah, yeah I can hang. Yeah. I, can have, I can have three beers and two shots of whiskey and I'm fine. I'm not going to do anything weird, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so then I, I play better when I'm wasted. Right. Who has ever like said that I have. Mm. <laughs> No. Um, so I think, you know, th- those elements were, were happening, mm-hmm. none of which I-, I would say were super like damaging or negative. Yeah. There was a point like in 2017, I would say, um, when 2016, 2017, this is when my second record was coming out where i i started to i started to abuse alcohol like okay. I, I was using it and, and when i say abuse i mean i was using it to disconnect um, mm. as opposed to connect i feel like in in my earlier days of drinking there was a a communion aspect yeah. to my mentality and my behavior. And then, you know, I was starting to go, okay, I'm in this green room. I'm extremely uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, It smells like shit. I miss home. Mm. And here's this thing that can put me 30 feet outside of that feeling. Mm -hmm. And hey, they give it to me for free. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Why not? (laughs) Why not? Yeah. So, you know, I think there was, and and that's not to say that every time I drank, it was, it was like that, but I, in retrospect, can see that I, I began to use alcohol as a way to leave, a way to leave my mm. own mind, 
a way to emotionally disengage at yeah. times. And I, I think that's when it started to, it started to be a negative force in, mm. in my life. Um, and I don't think it was revealing anything to me. Okay. Um, you know, like we, t- I talked about that, that gray area expansion. I kind of felt, feel like I did it. I got the gray yeah. area. Yeah. I kind of c- could have just been like, okay, I'll just quit now. I don't, there's right. I'm not going to learn anything more. I finished the book, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's not like war and peace. It's more like good night moon. You know, you, yeah. can, you don't get too much on the reread. So. Um. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious! <laughs> Drinking oh. is like reading Good Night Moon. No, um, but for me, a little bit, you know, I, yeah. it, it, I, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I began to engage in that kind of behavior, and that was mm-hmm. not super positive for me mentally, yeah. internally. All of this, by the way, is like inside yeah. i'm not doing any crazy things yeah quote unquote no one crazy. would know no one would know right and furthermore um everyone around me is also drinking a lot too right so they're disconnected from themselves and the situation as well correct whoa dude so that just like makes everyone feel that much more alone and in their own shit Totally. And I think, you know, there was for me a, a lack of casualness Mm. when I, when I was drinking because of the history with my biological dad, I, you know, even having a beer was just not that chill. Like a little part of me was like, be careful. Also, don't you remember all the bad things that happened? Also, right. you know, just like this, right. I, I would watch friends of mine just casually, like truly casually be like, I'm having a beer. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Like be detached it, from it. Yeah. There wasn't right. like this emotional um, resonance in the same mm. way or a mm-hmm. weight to it, I guess. And I feel like for me, that was always there. And that actually kind of stressed me the fuck out yeah because it's not just a beer right it's not just (laughs) like chilling there's so there's like legs to that right it's like the freaking iceberg what we don't see what's happening under the water yeah the the chill that iceberg is (laughs) the chill had legs yeah Um, (laughs) that's that's title of f (laughs) oh my god totally um so so yeah that was that would be stressful like that's a lot of energy that you're using to just relax or to chill out well right and so here's here's like one of the key insights i have with my therapist Mm. is we talked about like the mythology i had built a little bit around drinking yeah okay so we all do this yeah right so, so one piece of the mythology, like drinking helps me fall asleep on tour. Mm, okay. Because like being Probably. on tour, 
for for people listening, you know, there's lots of lots of different ways to be a touring musician, but um, for me, um, you know, I I typically travel on a tour bus, which is a extremely loud, bumpy. You know, it's, you're sleeping in a car. Um, yeah, it's in a little like coffin, and you've also just had a massive like adrenaline dopamine rush. You've just played a show. Everybody was going. Oh my God, I love you. You're the best. You're the absolute best. I love you. Do another totally song. Screaming right? their heads off. <laughs> screaming your name. <laughs> and so, um, so you're you're in that, you have to come down. Yeah. So for me, drinking was like a little bit of a shortcut. Mm-hmm. This is how I've actually come to to view like alcohol for me. All the things that alcohol gave to me, I can get without it. It just takes a little longer. Yeah. Just takes like two extra things. Yeah. Like now, granted, it takes a little bit longer right at the the outset. And then it's a shortcut ultimately, right? Like for me, abstaining totally consolidates the process in the, in the macro, but, um, so part of my mythology was like alcohol helps me sleep, helps me fall asleep when I need to really like come down from this this kind of energetic experience. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, even one drink within like an hour or something of sleeping disrupts your sleep. You you get worse quality yeah. sleep. Um so we talked about how actually getting five hours of sober sleep where it takes me an extra hour and a half to get to bed is better than seven hours of drunk sleep. Mm. Physiologically better. Yep. So totally. I started breaking down some of these beliefs yeah. with my therapist. And I, I, I do cognitive behavioral therapy that has worked for me. Um, and so we just, you know, a lot of the foundation of that is about replacing maladaptive or irrational behaviors with adaptive rational behaviors. So that was, you know, in many ways, my approach to changing my relationship with with alcohol. And I found that once I started doing those replacements, yeah, it was alcohol wasn't really serving wasn't really adding yeah um, to to my life um and so you know another part of the mythology was i'm i'm anxious i'm bored mm. i'm distressed and i don't want to I don't want to feel that feeling. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that is um, like the number one that that should be like the slogan for most alcohol brands. Like don't want to <laughs> feel, we got you. <laughs> so, you know, the the biggest behavior replacement yeah, was was sitting in discomfort and tolerating that. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm sure you've gone through something similar of like t- 
tolerance for discomfort really is a muscle. Oof. Jesus. You know? Yes. Like, and the you more go you to the do gym it, every day. You got you to go to the gym every day. Yeah. Not all um, day, but like, you got to get a good 30 minute pump in, you know? <laughs> and so I just, I almost started viewing, viewing it like that, you know? So I stopped. I guess in 2018, 19 or something like that, I stopped drinking at all before a show ever. Like, cause sometimes I'd have to go out for a meeting and like, you know, yeah. they want to get a beer, or get a drink or something. So I just, I started, I started phasing alcohol out. Okay. Um, I also s- stopped having it at my house. Okay. Um, in the same way that I don't keep like birthday cake at my house. You know what I mean? Like yes. the idea that like, it's a celebrate, you know, certain things you don't need to just have on hand maybe. Yes. Right. Like totally. I was experimenting with this. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I heard there was like a virus traveling across mm-hmm. the world. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and quit drinking. <laughs> oh my gosh. Cause why not? Yeah. I was like, I just had this sense. I need all my wits about me right now. Mm. Wow. That's a really and... interesting approach. Cause a lot of people took the exact opposite. So one of the reaction things that, to that totally, one of the things for me, yeah. that was always a, a tricky a tricky part with drinking and it was a this really unlocked what i in retrospect see as the superpower of my teenage college sobriety and the superpower of my grown adult in my 30s sobriety mm-hmm. is constant sharpness like you can mm. tap me you could wake me up at four in the morning and ask me a complicated question about what to do. Yeah. And I'm confident I can answer that in a way that is authentic to who I am, my values, and is like reasonably well thought out. Okay. You can also like, I can solve a crossword puzzle at any time of day. Right. You can also get up and like help someone who's like maybe in need and you can get in your car and drive. Absolutely. Yeah. So this, this sharpness mm-hmm. of mind, which is something I really value in myself as a, as a person and always have in terms of like, you know, I read a lot. I love to learn. I put a lot of emphasis on my memory and my ability to retain information. Well, this was really in line with that. And I think, I think yeah. when I, when I heard that, you know, COVID was, was happening or was this thing, I just, I just really felt like this was the time. And Mm. my, my, um, my ex who I was, who I was with at the time was also not drinking. And so my COVID experience my lockdown experience, I should say, 
you know, we kind of, we were on the same page with that. And I think that's really helpful in a, in a, in a time of duress when the attitude towards substance is similar or the same. And so we, we just like kicked it and read a million books and just didn't get fucked up. It was crazy. And, you know, and I'd be on these like Zooms and shit and everyone's like drunk as hell at home and high. And and listen, also, God bless. I, you know, I'm very much, I should say, this life is hard. There's a lot of ways to get through it. But, um, so I'm, I'm very much come as you are like, and same for my shows. If you come to the show, and you want to party and partying to you is drinking and smoking. Yeah. Live, you know, I, yeah. Go for it. I, I, everybody, you know, wherever you are, I can meet you there. That that's kind of how I feel. Um, but, but I will say, man, I was grateful to never wake up. Like my friends would be like, Oh my God, I'm waking up with a hangover and I was at home all day. (laughs) You know what I mean? I do not miss that. I don't. And I'm with you. I don't judge people that do that. I get it. Like you nailed it. Life is hard, right? We all use certain different things in our lives to fill these little voids, these little pockets of, you know, space. And I get it. Like alcohol is an easy, easy get for a lot of people. Um, I just don't hang out with people who make that a priority in their life i feel like there's too much of a distance between us and i mean i can hang with them for like maybe a couple hours but like you know when it's like oh kate time's up gotta go right totally i and i think you know that's about that's also a lot about intention you know i i i get back to alcohol is a tool you know like you're saying we have all these different things at our disposal and the question is what is your relationship with that tool Mm -hmm. um do you always need a hammer what's the saying like when you have a hammer everything looks like a nail like yes yes i i do think i it's very helpful for me in my understanding of alcohol and substance and honestly my understanding of everything to try to take judgment morality these types of things out of it and just view things with a with a neutral perspective and Mm -hmm. say that like hey if alcohol is a tool sometimes it's useful and sometimes it's not Mm -hmm. now for certain people like for me right now i just don't feel like it's useful at all for me yeah my life has improved dramatically markedly Mm. since i quit drinking however there was a period of time when alcohol was a really useful tool for me like we talk about with that gray area and getting me outside of some of my own fucking bullshit right yeah but also like as a kid like you have to learn your own way like you know 
we are are so affected and influenced rightfully so by our parents right like mm-hmm. i was told the same alcohol is bad you are a bad person if you do it if you get sloppy you're a drunk no one wants to be around you oh my god of course i don't want to be that do that you know right and but at the same time they're they're trying to teach us but they're also instilling this fear in us but mm-hmm. I get where the fear is coming from because they love us and they want to protect us. But that's Absolutely. also not allowing us to figure some shit out for ourselves. And I think that's the hardest part in parenting is like you love this thing so damn much. Of course, you want to protect it. You want to nurture it. You want to like wrap it in bubble wrap. <laughs> mm-hmm. But who is that helping? <laughs> Did you ever read um, Clara and the Sun? No. The, the Ishiguro book that came out, I don't know, three, two years ago or something. Um, okay. uh, so this Kazuo Ishiguro is a, is a British author who is, I like a lot and is, you know, pretty, um, he, a couple of his uh, books have been made into films as well. Um, like Never mm-hmm. Let Me Go, Remains of the Day. He wrote both of those. But I read Claire and the Sun with a friend of mine and we were having like a two-person book club uh, to talk about it afterwards. Cute. Again, my, my edgelessness uh, betrays me. Hardcore <laughs> rock star. <laughs> I swear to fucking God, I'm American. Um, I, I was, we were having this, this conversation and the book, yeah. this is not a spoiler, but it centers on what you were just talking about as a parent, the natural urge to protect your child from pain. Now, one of the things that I found incredibly helpful, and if you've made it this far into the conversation, I cannot recommend enough. um, Just kind of getting into some Buddhist texts, teachings for me, that, that was very much connected with my, um, abstaining from alcohol. And I found it to be very, very helpful and informative as I started to reassess and reapproach my relationship to discomfort. Mm. Because I talked about that earlier. Okay, I'm bored. Mm-hmm. I feel weird. I don't want to be in this green room in Cologne, Germany that smells like a toilet. I want to rest. I want to fall asleep, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, the main tenets of the, the Buddhist philosophy is that pain is a part of life. Pain doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. Yeah. All it means is you're alive. Right. The only people who don't feel pain are dead. Yeah. The Buddha feels pain. The most enlightened person on this planet feels pain. So get comfortable with that pain relating. I'm doing a whole meandering thing, but don't worry. It's going to circle back. So this book, one of the things that really goes wrong in this book is parents not giving their children the opportunity to experience pain. Right. You know, we all look back on our lives and go, but that's my pain. Mm. Don't take that away from me. That's my pain. Yeah. That's my breakup. That's my mistake. 
That's my dad who died. That's my, you know, that's when we ask anyone to tell the story of their lives and they will tell you about pain. Yeah. Um, Because it's something we can all relate to. And it's, it's important. Yeah. It's important to have it because it, it helps tell you who you are, what matters to you, um, where you want to go. And so I, I think in a, in a very broad manner of speaking, the, the swirling of really getting comfortable with my own discomfort and tolerating mm-hmm. that, not judging my discomfort, kind of like waving at it, being like, yep, that's my boredom right there. Come at me. Hey, <laughs> snuggle up, you know. Um, uh, and, you know, being sober, particularly in a time of kind of international crisis and distress and discomfort. Yeah. It kind of put me in the deep end in a great way of of exposure therapy to that. And I have felt so so personally um solid and powerful the more that i exercise that muscle that we talked about of of being really present with my discomfort for me that's been so empowering so confidence building mm. and ultimately relaxing the thing that i kept trying to get to yeah you know lo yeah. and behold um, I found it. That's so wild. It's like when you're talking about it, it seems so easy. It seems so obvious. It seems so simple. But the actual act of going through and getting your mindset around that, and, and like you said, it is a muscle, right? This stuff doesn't just happen overnight. It's also not just like there forever you know, ebbs and flows, ups and downs. But it's like, we can just kind of simplify. And like you said, like, doesn't have to be so super complex. It's just like, acknowledging that it is complex. Life is complex. Yeah. It's not black and and white. Right. And I think having a little bit of that, that grace about judgment and maybe part of the reason actually i've uh de demoralize de well that's the wrong i'm making up a new meaning for demoralize um right well, another reason i've taken like morality out of uh drinking yeah. maybe is to also have some grace with myself you know so as yeah. i think like shame is the enemy sure um, absolutely and, Anybody listening to this who's been ashamed of their drinking will know that that's the, that's just a a pit that that's a, that's a terrible pit to be in. It's a pit. Mm -hmm. A lot of us are in, it's usually part of a hangover, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think for me, it's been helpful to to take that out of the equation um, because it it also allows me to now in this space, not have too harsh of judgment for myself. Um, And that's something I, I also have worked 
with my therapist on of like, cause sometimes I'm like, God, I was such a fucking idiot. Like, why was I, why did I do that? Like, why did I just like do the norm? Right. Why did I, mm. and, and my therapist said to me, she was like, dude, you just didn't have, you have a lot more tools now. And this yeah. is getting back to tools. Yeah. So now when I go into a green room, I, let's say I'm in that same green room in Cologne, Germany. By the way, I don't know why I'm yeah. lambasting Cologne, Germany. I love Cologne. Cologne's <laughs> actually a very, very nice city. I don't know if you've been all there. Their, all their green rooms smell like toilets. It sounds horrible. I no, honestly, you know, West Germany is very nice. Okay. Yeah. So wherever, I'm some in some hellhole somewhere. And now I walk into that green room. Yeah. And I got a fucking like, I, I can't even think of a tool company right now, but whatever. So I went to the Home Depot and I have the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, whereas when I started, I didn't have anything. Yeah. And so she's like, have a little compassion for yourself. Like, you know, you're 24. You don't know what you're doing. You're a solo artist. You're with a bunch of people who say this is how it goes. Right. And you're going, okay. Right. And so I just think it's, it's kind of cool as you gain tools in this life to think about how useful is the tool of alcohol? Mm. Yeah. And that's you know? up for you to decide for yourself. Absolutely. And for me, the tool was not only not very useful, it was actually doing the reverse of what I was wanting it to do. It was like a drill yeah when you put it on the wrong, the unscrew, you're trying yeah. to screw something in, but you're just it's like coming at yeah. you. You're like, what is happening? <laughs> it was like that, honestly. And yeah. so that was kind of the big, like the big epiphany in, in a certain way. And so it made that transition to, to not drinking kind of immediately feel really good. Cause I started to mm. see, Oh, once I stopped trying to s screw something in without that fucking drill. Okay. Well, yeah, I have a screwdriver. It takes me five more minutes, but it's, it's working. Yeah. It's, t it's getting there. Yeah. And you're going the right way. I'm going the right way. For you. <laughs> so tell me, tell me about like how, um, like musically it's affected you. Like, I know you have a fifth album coming out September 15th. How has the writing process, the traveling process, like how has that changed and how has sobriety affected that part of your life? Well, being, being sober has changed the way that I tour. Okay. Um, I don't, you know, around 1 a.m., 1 2, I go to bed. Um, yeah. I don't just stay up drinking beers in the front lounge and watching The Departed for the 20th time. Um, I just forced my aunt, by the way, to watch The Departed. And she was like, why are you making me watch this? This movie's horrible. It's so violent. And I was like, but, but Debbie, it's a takedown of masculinity. Keep watching. Okay. Oh um, my anyway. gosh. <laughs> uh, That's amazing. Uh, so there, there's a, there's a time when I, I leave, yeah. you know, when I leave the bar, there are certain nights I just read a book 
And I do miss out on the like, oh, we went to this place and like some stupid shit happened. I do miss out on that a little bit. Yeah. For me at this point, feeling consistently good when I wake up, having consistent energy Mm -hmm. um, and keeping my body healthy on tour, that matters more to me and is more gratifying than some of the loss of those experiences. Uh, Mm. But besides that, touring is not different at all. It's just, it's the same. Yeah. Uh, The shows are even better. Um, um, My focus and energy and connection to the crowd is better. Mm. I'm really there. I'm really face to face with with these people who've come to Mm -hmm. see. Um, That's very powerful. Very, it can be scary. Yeah, like you can get, I get nervous for every show, you know, and like there's nothing to. I got nothing. I got nothing to tamp it down. Now my tour manager, yeah. um, Michaela, she always says, "I'll be like Mac, oh, I'm nervous." She's like, "Okay, gonna be a great show." She's like, "If you aren't nervous, I'm worried." Yeah. Um, so totally, I also, totally believe that. You know, because like. It means I care. And like my, one of my best friends, she always says in our, we have like three best friends from college and we always say to each other, like your body is rising to the occasion. Yeah. You're nervous. It's your body being like, I got to do a big giant thing. I got to run all around. And so I can, you know, I'm rustling up the leaves. Um, the big, so this is going to take a couple minutes of exposition, but the process of writing this record, which I is my first record where literally every single lyric and word and note I played was written during total sobriety. Like my record before, oh. there were there were a couple songs. I wasn't drunk writing them, but right. I was still drinking. You know. Yeah. Um, when it came to some of the subject matter and some of the lyrics. So this is, this is the first, first record. That's just, you know, whatever. Uh, We we talked about this before um, we started recording, but I, uh, one year ago now woke up suddenly deaf in my right ear and also no balance, no equilibrium. I was very sick. Turns out I have something called sudden sensory neural hearing loss. That is a very long-winded way of saying you can't hear anymore and we don't know why. Why? Sort of like getting struck by lightning. I know it's crazy. Um, Jeez. And so here I am thinking like, well, I'm so good at being uncomfortable. (laughs) Take my hearing, I dare you. <laughs> Shouting at God. Um, uh, so now I'm suddenly in a totally different sensory world. Um, I've got this this newfound disability. I'm dead sober, and there there's I'm just looking at it right in the eyes. And the the really incredible thing about that, and 
I just, I just know that I couldn't have done this if, if I were drinking, Mm -hmm. I was able to, I was able to move in the direction of curiosity really quickly in terms of, okay, I can't locate sound anymore. So that's something that happens when you only have one ear. So when I go to a restaurant or I go to a party, yeah, it's like I'm in an insane asylum. I like have no idea where things are coming from. Whoa. I'm very overwhelmed. It's really weird, actually. I mean, I and instead of solely grieving the loss of my facility socially which uh, you know i know a big part of a lot of people when they when they quit drinking is like how do i exist at parties how do i how do i be in these social settings and feel right okay yeah um you know i think one thing that i'm sure you experience is like at a certain point in the night you're gonna probably go home right like and yeah. people who want to stay out drinking are gonna do that and that's just gonna occur I think for me now with with the hearing too it's like i was at my friend's house party <laughs> birthday party the other day <laughs> i had been there for a couple hours and i was like luke i love you so much it's too loud in here and i don't know what the fuck's happening and yeah. i'm gonna take you out for dinner for your birthday yeah and i and i you know i showed up for my friend i'm there i was chatting and then i'm like and now i gotta go yeah now that's a loss you know and that's I've definitely shed some tears about the loss of my ability to quote unquote hang like that. Yeah. Um, now, alongside that loss, as I mentioned, is also that curiosity. Okay. So that's, mm-hmm. that's maybe different now. Now that I've got this new way of being in the world, where can that, well, what is that opening up for me? Mm. And I think my sobriety helped me to be in that, helped me to really quickly ask that question. And the answer to that question is, as a musician, all those rules I thought about like, oh, well, you know, the vocal should be compressed like this and sound like, who the fuck cares? Mm. I'm a beginner again. What a miracle. Like, I'm making um, like this record that's coming out. It's like, it feels like a debut, even though it's my fifth studio record whoa. because I kind of made it like, like a beginner, you know, like I got one ear, everything's different. I'm right. trying to figure it out. So, uh, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, like sobriety as a superpower. Like it really, I feel like it, it really was such a crucial part besides my community, which was incredible. And like my support system um, and a bunch of other things that helped me to, to navigate this, this massive change and this massive loss. Yeah. My, my sobriety in many ways was the foundation for a very, for, for equanimity as I, as I approached each day. And Mm. a real confidence in my ability to withstand, tolerate, and even learn to appreciate discomfort. And so this record was made in that context. I mean, I lost my hearing a year ago, kind of made the record in like four months and it's coming out. So 
it's about, you know, it's called mono, which is a little bit of a, a wink, a little sense of humor about my uh, current hearing situation. <laughs> uh, I listen to everything in mono, not stereo now. Yeah. And, uh, but really, and I think this relates to sobriety as well. And I'm sure, you know, you can relate and I hope lots of people can relate mono in terms of the prefix, like mono as one, right. Mm. Versions of no matter where you go, there you are. Or like this thing, this thing you're in this body, this mind, you're just, you're in it. Mm -hmm. There is no escape. Like yeah. try as you might. Um, so in many ways that is, that's the battleground, I think, yeah. you know, for me and for a lot of the people I know, it's like, it's all going on inside of here. So the the journey of the record really is a reckoning with that reality of like, oh my God, I'm alone and I'm stuck in this thing and this bad thing is happening to me. Mm -hmm. And then we get to the last song of the record, which is called Perfectly Alone. And mm -hmm. it's it's about you know, all the things we've been talking about, accepting the discomfort of that aloneness and actually in some ways loving it. Yeah. Embracing it. And so, yeah. And like, there's such, um, to me, you know, I, the record was like healing to me. I mean, it didn't heal my ear, but right. it, it healed my Your soul, uh, <laughs> healed my soul. And you know, that's what, that's what music does. <laughs> um, yes. And I don't know if, you know, I've never made something with this much gravity and this much intent. And a lot of that has to do with the foundation of my, my sober mind. Mm. Whoa. That is going to be some album girl. I hope so. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear this. Oh, I'll send so it to you. I'll send it to you. You and can listen to it. September 15th. Yes, out September 15th. Um, my Mac I will say this. My I have um a guy named Jeff who's like the there's a couple like fan groups for the of mine, you know, whatever. Who who I know all of them. They're awesome people, really cool. And yeah he came to a couple shows that I was just doing and he was like, dude, cause I played like a preview of the record for some contest winners or whatever. And yeah, he was like, he's like, this is your magnum opus. He's like, I'm telling you. And I was like, Jeff, I know. Whoa. <laughs> so not to, That's I don't mean that to like, cool. my turn, but I just saying like, I worked, I really went through the fucking fire. You know what I mean? And yeah. And I just like, I feel like sometimes in conversations about like going through bad times and hard times, it, the conversation feels so heavy and that's okay sometimes. Yeah. But I actually want the, the conversation that I feel about my own hard time. It's like, it's like someone just put an extra battery in my leg. You're all charged up. I'm charged up. You're charged up. Oh my God. I love that. Christine, where can we find you? Like on the world wide web, where oh my God. get at you? 
Where where can't you find me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, um, well, as a, as a Canadian, you can find. No, okay, Th that joke's over. I need to stop that bit. Take edit that out. Um, you can you can find me everywhere. Kflay is my is my stage name and my nickname, um, and I I'm just really I'm really grateful for this conversation. I love. Um, I love what you do and I love, you know, I think having a lot of different dialogue around alcohol is so important for our society. Um, and, I, and I think especially for women right now, mm -hmm. the, the relationship with alcohol feels more fraught than ever. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I just love getting a chance to sit down and, and talk about it and share a little bit of my perspective and, um, so I, yeah, I'm just really grateful. Thank you for, for making the space to, to talk about this. I think it's, I think it's really important and I love hearing other people's perspectives on, on these things too. So yeah, just mm. sh shout out to you and, and thank you for what you do. And I think it's really important. I think it's really cool. And I also think there's a lot of really fun things and boring things about not drinking, you know, just things that aren't even that I don't know. I guess just like normalize like yeah, sobriety being everything or something. I don't know. Yeah. Everything and nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Some other shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, Christine, thank you so so much for sharing your experience and your knowledge with us. Um I for one really love your your perspective and it was really a joy to get to know uh what you've been through. And have you experienced this sober journey this far? And you know what? It's probably going to change and we'll probably catch up with you in a year and we'll be even more enlightened, right? Because we don't know what you don't know. How awesome is Christine? Not only is she an incredible musician, but she's a fantastic person. And I just loved her perspective. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and leave your feedback about the podcast. We love to hear your comments. And remember that sharing is caring. If you know a friend, a family member, or a loved one who needs to hear a message in this podcast or any of our other episodes, please make sure to share that with them. Follow us on Facebook and, in and Instagram at A Sober Girls Guide and head over to asobergirlsguide.com. We got your back for any stage of your booze-free journey. From the Sober Girl Social Club to worksheets, exercises, to group coaching, we have your back. And remember, we are coming to LA October 8th. We will be there. We will be doing a live podcast event. If you are in the LA area, or if you want to travel to the LA area to meet us, we would love to meet you. Head over to our Instagram to learn more and get your tickets today. Tickets are limited. Thank you so much for listening and have a fantastic day.